the way people perceive their, you know, their relationship with the organization is is critical. And, and you have to understand that. You have to always be thinking about that because, you know, as the company continues to grow, you want your employees to, to be your evangelists, right? Whether they're staying in the organization and growing with the organization for years to come, or if they move on to do something else, right? The way they remember the company, the way they feel about the company uh, it's a critical part of, of kind of creating an ecosystem outside of the organization, you know, and how people think and feel about the company. That was Sword Health Chief People Officer, Pavle Stojkovic. And in this episode, Pavle and I talk about his career, what it was like to scale and grow The Athletic before their acquisition by New York Times, what it's been like to search for a job in this wild CHRO and Chief People Officer job market, and a lot more. And we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. It's time to let go of past perceptions of HR. Amplify is a new model of agency designed from the ground up to support business and people leaders navigate the new world of work. We do that through two platforms. Our HR executive search practice is a new model of agency that moves away from traditional search models with our flat fee structure and advisory on the front and back end to help our clients attract and retain transformational people leaders. Our Amplify Accelerator is a unique platform to support continuous learning and build readiness, capability, and global networks for today's people leaders through cohorts, community, and resources to support their growth. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, onto the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I am joined by Pavle Stojkovic. Pavle is the Chief People Officer at Sword Health, and we're going to talk about his career in hyperscale and growth, uh, what he's doing now, what it was like to move into his new role during this crazy market for HR leaders right now. And a lot more. So, um, Pavle, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'd love to have you open with an introduction for the audience. Yeah, so I'm Pavle Sojkovic, Chief People Officer at Sword Health. Background in HR, but but more fundamentally, I, I think of myself as a builder. Um, kind of made a career by getting myself into chaos and, and turning chaos into order. So really enjoy building, really enjoy working with people and, and scaling teams. Yes, yeah, so you've had a few build runs uh, under your belt already, but I want to actually start at the beginning. So, you know, I know you've shared that your parents uh, immigrated to the U.S. Uh, when you were two from Yugoslavia to kind of move away from the conflict there and, and start a new life for you. And, and I want to, you know, going through something like that, even at a young age, uh, I imagine has a huge impact on on how you view how you view work, how you view life, like how does that experience and kind of that upbringing shape uh, who you are today? Yeah, I mean, I think look, you know, fortune favors the bold, right? You know, what I learned from from my parents is that yes, they were moving away from something, but I think the real lesson, especially as I grew up, was what they were kind of moving towards, right? They they saw the potential for a better life, for a better opportunity, and they knew that you know, the only way to get it was, was to take a leap of faith, take this big risk and, and trust in their own ability to, to kind of figure it out as, as they went along. Right. You know, growing up, my, my parents did a really good job of, of making me feel like, you know, we had a normal upbringing, that I had a normal upbringing. And, and that's just kind of like a testament to their, to their hard work. And as I grew up and as I learned to, to appreciate a lot of that and what they had done for me and for our family, 
uh, it, it really just kind of allowed me to, to lean in, right? To take bigger risks, to, to recognize that if you really want to get to where you want to go, you have to be out of your comfort zone. You have to be willing to take those risks and trust that you're going to overcome them and figure it out as you go. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think as you, you know, in your introduction, you kind of uh, framed yourself as a builder and I can see the through line, you know, to that in terms of uh, looking for opportunities, willing to take risks, um, which is the DNA that, you know, isn't necessarily always common in HR historically, but I think these days we're, we're seeing a lot more of that and, and we're better for it. So we, you know, you, you grew up in Florida, you went to school at University of Florida, I won't hold that against you as we had our own uh, jokes before this uh, as an FSU grad. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep it we'll keep it friendly here. But, uh, you know, your first role was in HR at GrooveShark. And so yeah. what what originally compelled you to HR? Why, why was that a field like did you know you're going to get into that when you're graduating? Is, is it is it something you just kind of happened into? Like, what was the background there? Yeah, so I, I did not plan to to get into HR. Um, very much kind of stumbled into it uh, organically. So, you know, GrooveShark was this, you know, meteoric rise and, and just as meteoric of a, of a fall. Uh, you know, pre, pre-Spotify, the music industry was, was still kind of trying to figure itself out. And and I got involved with this company, you know, pretty early on in, in their hyper growth. You know, originally kind of just, I wanted to be in the mix, right? I, I recognized that there was something interesting going on here and, and I just wanted to be involved. So I actually kind of started in, in, in an ad sales role, um, recognized I was, I was pretty good at it, you know, had some, had some early wins and the company was, was trying to grow. They were trying to bring people in. So I approached one of the co-founders, uh, who's, who's actually a good friend of mine. And, you know, I, I told him, Hey, look, like I, I think that, uh, I want to give this recruiting thing a shot. And he said, we need it, go for it. And I recognized pretty quickly that I was good at it. It felt similar to sales, but I found it more rewarding, you know, bringing people in, giving people opportunities. Um, and then, you know, as the HR stuff kind of started to, to, to build around the company, they just kept saying, oh, well, you know, Pavel should take it. You know, he can do it. So I really just had four years of basically a sandbox experience. And then the way I can really describe the, my time at GroupShark was just, Tons of failing, uh, left and right. You know, had no idea what I was doing. Um, really, just kind of tried to figure it out on on the fly. You know, started to to look into the PHR, got some certifications, started reading books, um, and and really just you know, I really looking back on it, defining those first four years of of just learning by failing, uh, which turns out is a fantastic way to learn. Failure is a hell of a teacher. I mean, I think, uh, you know, especially when you're in that environment, you're, you're especially in startups, you know, you're doing things for the first time, you know, as an individual, you're experiencing those things for the first time. And so you're, you can look for inspiration to the outside. And I think now you can find a lot of inspiration, but then, you know, we were probably a bit more black box than open source. So it was a little harder to come by that. So, um, yeah, but that's, that's those, the, the, the school of hard knocks, I think can be a great way to, uh, to build your skills and capabilities. So, and I think the foundation, it, what it gave me was a foundation that's probably like a little bit different than, than traditional HR, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it sounds cheesy to say, but, you know, I didn't know what the rules were, right? So I didn't know what kind of boxes I needed to be operating in. And I think that actually gave me a leg up in, in my career because I wasn't shy about, you know, trying things out. And, and like we talked about earlier, right, taking risks and just kind of pushing the envelope in these areas because, you know, I didn't really have anybody to tell me no or that that wasn't the way it was done. So very much kind of like created, a, you know, this foundation of just figuring things out and, and seeing what worked. 
Yeah. I mean, that can be a really freeing environment, actually, when you're able to just kind of build and learn and learn from mistakes and have an organization that understands that that's how you're approaching things. Right. So you have that freedom to fail, um, I, th I think, is, uh, is so important, especially in those formative kind of early years uh, of your career. Um, you know, from there, you, you, ha you had a couple roles before you landed at The Athletic. Uh, and, you know, The Athletic, for those of you that don't know, uh, was acquired by The New York Times last year. You know, you led them through uh, a pretty significant stage of growth. So walk me through that experience, right? You, you had, you had you know, beyond Groove Shark, you had a few more runs under your belt. You know, you probably had a bit more of an idea. You were doing less things for the first times, perhaps. But now you're in this kind of real scale uh, environment. So what, what was that experience like for you? I mean, it's, it's a surreal experience, right? I think, you know, one thing that, um, that I really enjoyed about, about my time at The Athletic was just really leaning into, into that hyper growth, right? And, and just kind of recognizing that, you know, as much as you want to be able to, to plan really far ahead, it's, it's, you know, you can really only see a few steps ahead, right? So it goes back to kind of that being able to trust yourself, uh, trust the the people that you're surrounded with, um, and then try and you know you you want to build for the solutions that you of course need today, with with having that eye for for the future, right? How can I make sure that I'm thinking a little bit ahead, knowing that you know we we plan to keep growing, we plan to keep expanding, and and just kind of trying to anticipate as as much of that work ahead of you as as possible. Yeah, so you know you I'm sure you learned a lot during that period, um, and I'm sure you still experienced some things for the first time kind of during that period, Pavle at the end, right, like right before the acquisition by New York Times, if, if you had a time machine, you had a chance to go back and talk to Pavle onboarding, right, before your experience of that, like what, what advice would you have given uh, that, that may have kind of, uh, you know, it helps you even uh, make more of an impact. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's always kind of that um, that thought in your head of, oh, I wish I would have started X or Y, you know, sooner, right? Um, when you're when you're building companies, that's always something that that you think about with the benefit of hindsight. I talk a lot about this this concept of cultural debt, right? What are mistakes that companies make early on that have a compounding effect, you know, later on when it's harder to steer the ship, when it's harder to make those turns, right? So, you know, something that that I've taken with me. Um, is, is just kind of understanding that there are some really important things that you can do, infrastructure work, really, that you can do early that'll really pay dividends as the company starts to scale, right? So being more thoughtful about uh, your hiring infrastructure and your talent acquisition process, being, being more thoughtful about things like your leveling, and comp your leveling frameworks and your compensation philosophy. The earlier you can do the, that work at a company, the better off you will be as you start to scale. Because, you know, once you start adding hundreds of employees, you're onboarding, you know, 20, 30, 40 people a month, it's a lot more difficult to correct those mistakes. And those mistakes become a lot more expensive to fix, right? So the earlier that you can do that work, the better. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of startups are cluing into that, right? Um, you're seeing head of HR, VP of people type roles popping up earlier in, in a company's life cycle. And that's smart, right? Because companies and, and you know, co-founders and, and, and leaders are realizing that uh, the sooner they do that work, the better off they'll be. Um, and even if it might feel a little early for where they are today, you're not solving for today, you're solving for where you want to be tomorrow. I mean, that's a great point. And I think that that you know, is part of the reason why the market for HR leadership 
is on fire, you know, right now because it's 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 a combination of companies investing in that role earlier, um, more companies realizing that they need those modern operators, right? Maybe you didn't weather the last couple of years as well because their their function wasn't resourced in the way it needed to be to help the company be more agile uh, and nimble around these circumstances, and and you know on the other side, also uh, more experienced leaders who are stepping away. Uh, from the role, whether to take time off, move into coaching. So it's kind of all those things combining to create a job market for HR leaders that we uh, we haven't seen before. And, and obviously, you know, you don't need me to tell you that because you've experienced that, you know, recently when uh, after the acquisition uh, by New York Times, you moved over to Sword Health. I want to talk about Sword Health, but before we even get there, what was that process like for you kind of being an active candidate in this job market? First of all, it's a great position to be in, um, you know, candidly, right? I think uh, there's a lot of great opportunities out there. And, and, you know, I think for the first time in my career, it was a real opportunity for me to kind of take a step back and say, okay, what direction do I actually want to want to take my career in? And, and it allowed me to really kind of think about what are the, what are the must-haves at the top of my list? Um, and, and the things that I, that I realized that I wanted to index for were, number one, the leaders that I'm going to surround myself with, and, and more specifically, low ego individuals that understand that a strong people function needs to be woven into the into the fabric of, of the company, right? So even more fundamental than the product or, you know, or the service, um, it was it was the people that I would be surrounding myself with and really how they think about this function within the context of their business. Um, so that's, that's what I was kind of solving for, right? So I was, you know, I was thinking about the conversations I was having. I was thinking about how I was interacting with these CEOs that I was meeting. Um, and that was number one on the list before, before anything else. Yeah. I mean, was the, um, and of course I don't know how many interviews you had before you landed on, on sword, but, um, looking back in the conversations that you had with companies, did, does anything stand outside of sword health or maybe even including sword health? Does anything stand out to you in terms of, uh, what, companies did in engineering their interview process, uh, either good or bad that, um, you know, maybe wisdom you can share from your own experience for, so that others who are watching and kind of designing these, uh, you know, either you're hiring a CPO or you're designing these processes, things to be mindful of. Maybe this is tough to spot, but certainly, certainly from experience, right? There are, based on the conversations that I was having, I feel like you can generally put CEOs in, into two buckets. Those that actually understand the power of the people function and those that recognize that it's important or someone is telling them that it's important, but they don't quite understand it themselves, right? Um, and and there's, it's a very fine line there and kind of recognizing that difference. But you know, that's really what I would what I would urge people to, to be thinking about is, you know, don't be shy about digging in, in with with founders that you're speaking to or CEOs that you're meeting with and, and try and get them to explain to you why this function is important to them. Um, and, and that's really kind of how I how I approach the process. Right. Um, you want to try and find companies that, that really value the function because it means that you can actually do your best work in that organization. Um, if you're if you're joining an organization that that doesn't quite get the value, you're only going to be like 50, 60 percent as successful as you can be. Right. Because you're always going to be kind of sidelined into the support role rather than, you know, somebody that's a, that's an integral thought partner, um, you know, at the top of the organization. So, you know, that, th it's it's tough to spot the difference. But but that's really kind of what you need to be looking for, in my opinion. 
And so what was it about Sword Health that, uh, that drew you to the opportunities? I'm, I'm sounds like you, you know, had a range of things that you were exploring and considering, uh, what made Sword Health stand out to you? So a lot of things, right? I think, you know, first and foremost, it, it goes back to what I was, what I was speaking to, right. Which was, as I started to meet the leaders that were already, um, what, that were already in the organization, I, I got the sense that, you know, these were people that were doing it for the right reasons, right. You know, um, wanting to help people, wanting to free people from physical pain. Uh, I mean, it's such a big, uh, you know, area, it's such a big category and such a large body of work that, that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, roughly one in two people have some type of MSK related pain, right? That's, that's huge. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's larger than, than the mental health space, right? And, and, you know, physical health has a big impact on mental health as well, right? Um, so, so, you know, wanting to kind of get involved with, with a company where, where the people at the top care about other people and want to help people, right? And so, so that was a big, the, a big, um, uh, you know, big area that, that drew me in. But then also what I was just talking about, right, which is wanting to be part of an organization that truly values the, the people function, that sees it as not just something that's, that's a support, but that really impacts how the organization can scale thoughtfully, right? It's about bringing the right people in. It's about keeping the right people at the organization. It's about creating opportunities for people to grow within the organization. Um, you know, these were things that, that I was seeing at S.W.O.R.D. Um, as I was having those conversations. And that's something that I wanted to be a part of, right? Uh, part of an organization that really thinks about the entire employee life cycle holistically and then create that type of environment where we're bringing in and retaining the best people that we possibly can. Traditional HR and learning systems are largely rooted in legacy mindsets and practices. They're not equipped to keep pace with the dynamic times we've experienced since the events of 2020 and beyond. That's why I launched the Amplify Accelerator. The Amplify Accelerator is a platform for connecting, developing, and supporting the next generation of people leaders. Designed to support continuous learning and build capabilities and connections, the Accelerator helps modern people leaders build the necessary skills to successfully navigate this new world of work. The flagship of the Amplify Accelerator is the Cohort Program. These peer-based learning courses are designed to help you become a more confident people leader, armed with a new global peer community and a toolkit full of actionable advice, resources, templates, and more. Cohort students engage in a mix of synchronous and asynchronous learning designed to fit into the schedules of today's people leaders. You'll also learn from world-class guest instructors including Katie Burke, Caitlin Holloway, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, AJ Thomas, Tiffany Stevenson, and so many more. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com slash cohorts. And so for, uh, for listeners and viewers that aren't familiar with Sword Health, you mentioned kind of, you know, pain management. Can you go into a little more detail on kind of what the company does? So, you know, the, in short, right, it's, it's digital MSK, which is musculoskeletal, um, you know, we basically, uh, we have a, a digital physical therapist solution, which is a combination of, uh, of sensors and interacting with, with a physical therapist, um, to, to, you know, provide, you know, uh, that therapy for, for people that are either suffering from pain or recovering from injuries, um, so on and so forth. Right. Uh, so, so it's an opportunity for us to kind of remove a lot of the barriers that people have when they're going to get traditional physical therapy. Uh, we, you know, we've moved that into, into the digital space. 
And what is the company um, size at this stage? We are a little bit over 350 employees, roughly 50-50 split between uh, the United States and, and Portugal. The company is actually uh, Portuguese in, in origin, um, so we have about a 50-50 split between the two. Um, and so for you, like I know you're, you're, you know, probably by definition, you're a little bit past your, you know, traditional onboarding stage, uh, but not all that much. So like how, you know, was there anything that you kind of designed or structured or maybe that sword designed or structured in your onboarding process that, that helped with your kind of acclimation into, into the business, into establishing relationships with your executive peers and your teams? Like what, uh, what can, uh, you know, listeners and viewers kind of learn from your onboarding experience? Well, you know, Lars, when you're, when you're joining a hyper growth company like Sword, onboarding is like, you know, a week tops, uh, especially when you're the <laughs> right. chief people officer, right? No, but, but jokes aside, I mean, I think, you know, look, right, when, when you're the CPO and when it's your responsibility to really uh, level up the entire organization uh, from an HR perspective, the important thing that I need to do early on is to really start having as many of those conversations as I, as I possibly can, right? Meet with other business unit leaders, understand how the organization is functioning today, and start thinking about where we need to be tomorrow, right? So as I started to build my team and started to scale my team, you know, I'm not hiring for today's needs. I'm hiring for tomorrow's needs, right? So always thinking ahead, right? We were just talking about this with The Athletic, right? Um, you know, kind of recognizing, recognizing what are those things that you can address now that will pay dividends in the future, right? So, you know, a lot of the early work for these first few months have really been understanding what kind of team we need to have in place, understanding what kind of infrastructure we either need to put in place or elevate what's already there today, uh, to make sure that we're thinking about not just the 350 that we're at, but, you know, 600, 1,000, so on and so forth, right? You always want to make sure that you're planning ahead so that you can scale effectively. And, you know, fundamentally, the way I think about the people function, um, I, I describe it as, as decentralized HR. So, you know, the, the, we do our best work when we empower everybody else to carry the ball for us. So it's about building the tools. It's about providing the knowledge, the training, the expertise, and then, you know, facilitating and supporting as needed, right? But one of the metrics that I always think about for my team is any two employees anywhere in the company should have the same experience, right? Whether that's onboarding or performance or compensation or whatever the case may be, right? We're trying to create a body of work that empowers everybody else to carry the ball for us. And, and that's really the type of infrastructure that we're building. And, you know, really just kind of having all those conversations as early as possible to understand what's the work that we need to do today to make that reality possible as soon as we possibly can. Yeah, you know, it's interesting hearing you describe that. Um, when I was writing uh, my book last year, one of the chapters was around, like, the you know, the whole book kind of explores the evolution of HR from, you know, old school HR to modern HR. And one of the biggest shifts to me was this move from these kind of command and control structures that we used to have to decentralize and empower, which is exactly kind of what you're describing. I think that when you look at modern operators, you know, their role isn't to to run and own and insert themselves into everything is to create the framework so that the people can do the work leaders can lead managers can manage. And so hearing you describe it that way, uh, definitely resonates. Um, and I know you've written about the, you know, your kind of personal view around the importance of combining kind of the, the human and people experience at work with data. And I'd love to kind of get a sense of what that means for you 
at Sword? Like, how, how do you think about leveraging data as you design your people strategy? So I think, look, like data is only half half the the picture, right? Um, especially when you're dealing with human beings, right? So you can't get all the information that you need from data alone. I think data is helpful when you're thinking about, you know, the macro, how human beings are moving through the organization. That's where data is really helpful, right? But you also need to, you know, combine it with that qualitative human experience um, to, to really understand not just, okay, what are we seeing happening at scale, but how do the people in the organization actually feel about the experiences that they're having, right? And it's really the combination of these two things that give you the, the complete picture, right? So, you know, we always look at the way our systems operate, and that's where we look at the data. But then we always make sure that we're having conversations with our employees, you know, at, at key moments throughout, every, throughout those steps in, uh, you know, on the employee journey and the employee life cycle, right? So maybe that's, you know, some of the obvious ones are you complete onboarding. What was that experience like to you? Give us the kind of the qualitative feedback on what it felt like to go through this experience, how we made you feel, um, you know, what's your perception of the company now that you've gone through this process? And, you know, other, other obvious kind of touch points around performance and so on and so forth as we finish these cycles. How do people feel about them, right? Um, and then just kind of ongoing conversations, right? Um, as we go through, uh, you know, engagement survey cycles and things like that, really just making sure that we are also indexing for that qualitative feedback and not just looking at the numbers and the heat maps and, and so on and so forth. You need to you need to always be looking at those two things um, because at the end of the day, it's not about necessarily what objective fact is it's about perception right the way people perceive their you know their relationship with the organization is is critical and and you have to understand that you have to always be thinking about that because you know as the company continues to grow you want your employees to to be your evangelists right whether they're staying in the organization and growing with the organization for years to come or if they move on to do something else right the way they remember the company the way they feel about the company uh, it's a critical part of, of kind of creating an ecosystem outside of the organization, you know, and how people think and feel about the company. Yeah, I mean, that's such a, a good point. And I'm glad you made that kind of distinction between kind of hard data and, and numbers and kind of objective truth as, as it relates to data and perceptions and, and how people feel about the organization. Because those two things aren't necessarily always aligned. And if you're making decisions purely based on the data without factoring in that, uh, you're going to make some misses. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate you reinforcing that. Um, one thing I'd love to get your thoughts on as well is, you know, we're, we're kind of in this, this really unique opportunity in the field where we're, we're actually redefining work itself, right? As we move through, continue to move through the pandemic, obviously we're still in it, but um, we're, we're redesigning, we're kind of moving away from industrial era constructs of work that kind of dictate how, where, and when we work, uh, and building something new. And I'd love to get your perspective. Like when you think about this moment in time for, for HR leaders and for you specifically, like what gets you most excited about this new world of work we're building? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> it's an opportunity for us to, to really treat each other like adults. Uh, and I think it's probably the simplest way I can put it. Right. Um, so, so something that, you know, that I share with my team is, you know, it's not about, it's not about the green dot on Slack, right? It, it's, it's about, you know, I'm not looking for you to, to be online, uh, all day, every day, you know, between these hours, right. Um, let's have, you know, mature conversations about what our expectations are for, for each other, for the roles that we're, that we're doing. Um, and that's how we should be holding each other accountable, right? How we, how we do that, you know, on the kind of on the day to day 
is is irrelevant, right? Yes, you know, we want to have some some times, you know, set aside so that we can actually interact with each other for our meetings, you know, core hours, things like that. But outside of that, treat each other like adults, give each other the flexibility to, you know, integrate our personal lives with our work lives, and then and then get things done um, through those, you know, through those uh, expectations and accountability levers rather than, you know, I'm at my desk from this hour to that hour, because that does not necessarily translate to doing good work, uh, to being productive or to being efficient, right? Um, you know, you're solving f- in that environment, you're solving for, uh, you know, the kind of that visibility piece and you're not actually doing your best work, right? So let's, let's, let's put that stuff aside and let's actually create environments where people can do their best work rather than just look like they're working. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know you, you hear the kind of butts and seats analogy all the time as it relates to like that was our general measure of productivity, which you know is kind of ridiculous because even if you see somebody like you don't know what they're doing. Like we we're we're bad at measuring output. We're you know especially as it relates to kind of that legacy lens of of looking at uh, you know visibility equals productivity, and so I think it, it's it'll be exciting as we continue to move through this like how we get better about measuring output, because if we can really truly shift towards that, it doesn't matter when you work to an extent. It doesn't matter where you work to an extent. It matters like what you produce and what you contribute uh, and the impact that you can have. And so if you can do that in, you know, less hours, you can do that from, you know, an island in the South Pacific, it doesn't really matter. So, um, you know, Pavle, I've really enjoyed learning about your, your career path, uh, you know, your, your recent transition, your search. So I appreciate you walking us through all of that. Um, we wrap up every episode with a lightning round, just allow the uh, audience to get to know you a little bit better. So you ready to jump in? Let's do it. Okay. We kick things off with music. Uh, I'm checking out your Spotify playlist. Uh, who am I going to learn are your top three artists? Oh boy. So I'm all over the map. So, um, I mean, the Beatles are definitely on there. I would put probably Zeppelin at number two and then Kendrick Lamar at number three. So those are probably the three, uh, the three big ones for me. Maybe the Beach Boys right, are on I, there too. If I had to throw it a number four, Beach, <laughs> I was about to say I appreciate your age before you drop Beach Boys <laughs> on me. Now I really appreciate your age. Uh, let's shift over to uh, to the screen. So, what what was your latest uh, binge on TV? So, uh, I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. Love watching some sci-fi. Just watched all seven seasons of Deep Space Nine. If you haven't seen it, aged very well. Big Star Trek fan. Okay, I'll have to check that out. Um, next, uh, we're going to reinvent you. You're moving away from HR. You can't work in this space anymore. Uh, what would you be doing? You know, look, love the outdoors, love, love to move my body. So, um, if I could, you know, if I had my way, I I would probably be outside trail running or something. So I don't know, maybe tackling like some triathlons or, or some type of physical endurance, uh, you know, sports related stuff. So that's probably what I would do instead. Yeah. Well, look, I think that that that's that's available to you. That that can be that <laughs> sure. can be in your future. So uh, we we may have to do a, a check in, uh, you know, next year and see when you get those triathlons under your belt. So and you, I know you're in Southern California, so the weather is uh, quite uh, accommodating. Perfect for it. Um, last question for you, Pavle. Uh, who is one HR leader who you admire and why? You know, somebody like a Kathleen Hogan comes to mind and, and her predecessors uh, at Microsoft. I mean, you know, if you meet people at Microsoft, they've been at Microsoft forever, right? <laughs> that seems to be the trend. Um, and, and that's, that's you know, that's really commendable, right? So it's, it's about creating this environment where people want to stay for, for decades in some cases. And, and I think that's admirable. And I think that's kind of the best, the best outcome you can have for, for the work that we do. 
Yeah, I mean, especially this day and age um, when, you know, mobility is certainly on the rise, creating those sticky environments where people can really build a, a career and not just a role is is pretty rare uh, and exceptional. So, and Kathleen's amazing. So, 100%. Um, well, Pavel, man, I really enjoyed the conversation with you. I appreciate you making time to share your your journey and your wisdom and your career uh, with all of us and uh, look forward to kind of, you know, continuing to follow what you're building. Lars, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.